Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. Yeah, kill me. Ted and I met playing college football. He was a backup punter, I was a backup kicker. We never got in a game, but we spent a lot of time together jogging and doing box jumps. After school, we went our separate ways. He was dating Michelle, got into coaching, and I got into prison. When I got paroled, I had no money, family didn't want me, I had nowhere to go. So I looked up Ted. He took me in, fed me, let me crash on his couch. And in return, I stole his car. I didn't get far. And I would have gone straight back to prison if Ted didn't come down there and convince those cops that he gave me the car. Just like in Les Mis? Our story is very similar to Les Mis, yes. You went to prison? Yes, for stealing a loaf of meth. And then I stole from my friend. Who forgave me. And gave me a job. And a life. So to honor that, I forgive you. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learned from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it, and that it helps you discover your own lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. Welcome back to What Would Ted Lasso Do? This week we are at our we're at our penultimate episode, our second to last episode, season three, episode eleven, Mom City. I cannot believe that we're here already. I know. <laughs> Can't believe it. Went so so quickly. Yeah. This one was interesting in terms of the writing and stuff because so it was directed by Declan Loney, but there was no written by credits on this one. And so oh, wow. This time on the when I watched the credits on like on the show, it showed story by Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt, but then it showed teleplay by Joe Kelly, which I know this is kind of like in the weeds and maybe not important, but it was just, I just found it interesting because every other episode has always had like at least one or two written by. So I don't know. I don't know what that oh. means, but I just thought that was interesting. So that's fascinating. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. So we're getting towards the end. And again, nice, uh, just, you know, a few storylines to follow again this time. And so I think we really kind of focused in on Jamie, Nate, and Ted once again. Mm What did you notice for themes? Ooh, I noticed it wasn't, I wasn't going to say historical trauma, but definitely like parental emotional baggage (laughs) Mm, yeah yeah and what you get passed on and what passes on to you and yeah i just thought it was 
it's just fascinating. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I think the overarching theme on this one was forgiveness and second chances. Mm. And what's interesting is the second to last episode in season one was the same thing. So we talked about forgiveness all the way back then in season one. And it seems to apply to kind of all three storylines, right? Because we've Mm -hmm. got... We've got Ted and his mom. We've got Nate just in general and like between Beard and Nate. And then we've got Jamie and his dad. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and there's like different aspects of forgiveness though. Right. There's like forgiving, forgiving someone else, forgiving ourselves. And so, yeah, so I really like that. But when we talked about forgiveness last time, you know, we mentioned how it's a really big part of positive psychology and, you know, positive psychology, again, is just the, it's the science of well-being. And so when you think about it, how Ted was talking about forgiveness being not for the other person, but for yourself, and and we'll get into that. But what I just wanted to highlight is this idea that, you know, we are trying to cultivate positive emotions in our life Mm -hmm. and not, not the toxic positivity. We've talked about Mm -hmm. that, but but how the more that we practice gratitude, the more we practice forgiveness, the more we kind of tap into those positive emotions. And it has a real impact on not just our mental health, but like even our physical health. And so, yep. you know, there's some really interesting research out there about the connection between forgiveness and anxiety and depression and even blood pressure, immune system, heart health. So we'll definitely link to some of that. But I just wanted to mention that because I think it's a really important topic. And one that I think is hard because when you've been hurt, forgiving somebody (laughs) for hurting you is not easy. And then so much of the things that we go through in life and not being able to forgive ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you bring up the forgiveness aspect because I'm thinking about that in the workplace. I've been having more and more issues of helping organizations (laughs) where, where sometimes people have been fighting for 10 years, 15 years. Wow. And they just can't, they can't let it go. They can't mm-hmm. let it go. And I think about with parents, oh my gosh, dude, with parents. Yeah. And parents that are around and also parents that are not around, like forgiving a parent that, you know, is no longer in your life or has passed away or, or estranged. Like forgiveness is tough, man. Forgiveness is, yeah. It's complex. It's very layered. And what's interesting is we never, it would have been a great class to learn in like elementary school and high school. Yeah. Like just a class on that. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of cultures, like it falls very much under the spiritual realm. And so I think maybe Mm. that's partly why they don't really teach it in school, but like, But I think, yeah, I think it's really such an important thing, right? Because to what you were just saying about like these grudges that are being held for 15 years or whatever, Uh like when we get into that place of being angry with someone or being hurt by someone, it really keeps us stuck. It keeps us stuck in that space because we keep ruminating on the thing and we, we can't move forward because we are just reliving it over and over and even if we're not reliving it like maybe we've cut ties and maybe you know mm-hmm. but but it's it's enough to where it's potentially impacting like our thought process it's also possibly impacting our ability to connect with others because absolutely you know right like we may feel like oh 
you know, that trust that was broken by whoever hurt you, you know, sometimes we project that onto other people or whatever. So there's just a lot of reasons why forgiveness is such an important practice to incorporate into our lives because it has the capacity to really help us, you know, keep moving forward and keep being able to connect with each other in a way that is meaningful and and supports our own health and well-being. It also is expensive. <laughs> like huh. like for yeah, like forgiveness I th- I forgot what the quote is, but it's something about like it take, you know, you're allowing someone to take real estate up in your head. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Right? And I was speaking in Canada yesterday about psychological safety and I go, how many happy hours? Do you spend because you have it like, you know, you're still frustrated to that person? How many therapy sessions? Like, if you add up, how much time have you spent mm-hmm. being angry at this person and then having to vent to your friends about it? So it takes up time. It takes up money because you've drunk a lot or you've had to go to a lot of therapy. Or you've got to do a lot of other things to address this person. And they don't even know. They don't even know. They don't even know that they may not even care. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're still thinking about this person two, three years later. So, yeah, forgiveness, not forgiving is expensive. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I I really like that. And that's such a great point. And and it's also it's not about trying to change the other person or getting them Mm -hmm. to see your viewpoint or anything like that. It's purely about how you can kind of foster change in your own life and bring your own, bring peace and happiness and kind of that healing into your own space. So, yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's look at how this showed up. <laughs> yeah. Let's start with Jamie because his story I yeah. thought was, was really good. So we see Jamie at the beginning with Sam and Roy in the press room at the press yep. conference. And he is just like, he's lost his mojo. <laughs> It's just not, I mean, he's, he's a shell of himself and just feeling bad about everything, apologizing for not making his teammates look better. Right. Apologizing to the kids, apologizing to the kids for what? I don't even know what he's apologizing for the kids for. (laughs) And everyone's just like, what is happening? And then later, you know, in the locker room, Van Damme now has his new mask and Mm -hmm. still has to wear it. Danny's totally oblivious. Like. He's just like, hey, man. And so Van Damme, it looks like, hasn't fully forgiven Danny just yet either. Mm -hmm. But he looks at Jamie and says, oh, you want to get in on this too? And and Jamie, you know, instead of some like snarky remark is like, oh, it's better to be safe than to look cool. And so then goes completely against the Jamie realm. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we've got Roy calling Jamie out to the boot room and. And I love how Trent Trent explains to to Ted's mother that that's his love language. That's his love language. <laughs> Screaming is his love language. Yeah. But yeah, but then we have a really interesting moment in the boot room. So I'm curious, like what what came up for you in that? Well, I was I was not ready for Jamie to uh start crying and then and then Roy being like like, you know, just like not realizing what what am I supposed to do at this moment? And it always happens in the boot room, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, Jamie just can't handle the level of different emotions that are coming up because he's going back. He's going back to that city. 
where, you know, a lot of trauma has happened his whole life. Right. And what's crazy is you're trying to figure out how to address it all in like one game. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a lot. That's just a lot of pressure. So I feel like that is what was weighing on him. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, right, like Man City is where he grew up. It's also the last time he was there was when his father came into the locker room, you know, and he ended up punching his father. Mm-hmm. And so there, I can see it's how also where be. he played. He also, it's also, it's where, also he where he played and, and where played he well quit. and then and then quit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so you can see how that would definitely be stressful. But I love his expl- like his descriptions, right? Like that he feels like the Red Bull guy going up the hill, and that his that his wings are missing. And right, he's know, like, "Where are so, my wings?" Yeah, and I think like it's an interesting description of of kind of when you're in that that low place of kind of being depressed, but maybe not even that, right? Because you know that there's that word ennui, which is just like this kind of like meh. Uh, you know, like, and I think that's a lot of what it is. Like, he's just not motivated. Yeah. Right. Well, because he's always been motivated by hate. Right. Exactly. And I think about it and it was just like when he quit Man City, he didn't really quit Man City. He quit his father and he quit his father's expectations. So then going back there, what's always driven him is his ability to just say F you to his father. Mm hmm. But now that's not there. So it's just like, well, what's going to drive him? And maybe that's what his his wings used to be hate wings. And he's (laughs) like, they're now where are the wings, right? There are no more of those. So he's like, what's going to motivate me? Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that's interesting. That's like another kind of thing, right? Like we talked, we've talked about external versus internal motivation. Mm -hmm. And so if you're relying on that external piece, to get you going and then that disappears you end up in this space of confusion and not not knowing how to get yourself going to where you need to be and so but roy recognizes this is a bit out of his wheelhouse so he goes to keely for help and keely kind of makes it worse yeah (laughs) and uh that scene was really sweet too, where they're in his hotel room and he's like, Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And he knows Roy has told her he's fine with that. But then his description of the suitcase, right? That oh yeah. That, that it's a drawer without a home. Yes. Oh. Yes. And I just thought, oh, that's such a great description. But you see him kind of going into a little bit of panic attack mode there yeah. too, right? Yeah. And so yeah. So all in all, like he's he's really struggling and he's trying to figure it out. And he decides he needs to go back and like see his mom. And so after the the rom-com session where the whole team is like bawling through. You got mail. You've got mail. You got yeah. mail. Yeah. Even though I, I do agree, Salipas in Seattle was far superior. Right? Really? That's so funny. You know, I haven't seen that in such a long time. I may have to rewatch it because that movie was not memorable to me. Like I've watched You Got Mail like. I can't even count how many times. And so that's really funny. I mean, in all honesty, both of them merge together so much for me (laughs) that sometimes I'm watching, I'll see a clip of the movie and I'll be like, which movie is this? Okay. You know, they shouldn't have done them so close together. But yeah, anyway, yes, he goes to see his mom. Yeah. Well, and I just, I, I do think it's funny again, like looking at this idea of, of 
breaking the the idea of toxic masculinity on sports teams and how all the guys are just crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And Keely's the one like passed out, not yeah. interested. Yeah. She's like, I've seen this. It's not that great. <laughs> and even Rebecca, Rebecca's just like watching it and Higgins is next to her just like crying. And so I just thought that was really funny. And also the fact that they're doing a family, you know, soccer movie night, you know, yeah. when they used to like go party in Manchester instead, they're, you know. Yeah. No, no, no. Because remember, every time Ted, like since Ted took over. Yeah. They always either do movie night or he gave them the option of pillow fights. Right, right. But, <laughs> but you're right. I guess before Ted, they probably did just go out. And so, yeah. And so then Jamie's just kind of skulking through the city. These guys are following him. And that I thought was a really like a bit of comedy too, where Keely's like trying to be all stealthy and Roy's just walking. I know Roy's like, just walking like he doesn't care. <laughs> And Jamie's on to them. And so he ultimately invites them to go back to his house with them. And it was just so interesting to see like where Jamie Tart grew up. Right. Right. And so interesting to see his mom. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So tell me about that. Well, first of all, like, you know, I was like, his mom's young, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, like they almost, I was like, are, are they dating? You know, even Roy was kind of like interested in his mom. But what was fascinating about his mom was I remember the scene from the first season when he's burning his shoes. Do you remember mm-hmm. when he burns his shoes and he goes, my mom always just wanted me to be happy. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is still the theme. Like, she's just so happy that he exists in the world and she's going to celebrate him regardless. And you think about it and he's half his mom and he's half his dad. Right. So his mom's like belief in him so much probably made him successful, mm-hmm. but then also the hate from his dad may have also made him successful, right? Like that's mm-hmm. also, be, you know, and, but one was always much more loud than the other, but yeah, it was just so fascinating to see him. And I was like Roy with like, you know, Jamie's like sitting in his like mom's belly and Roy's like, what is going on? Like, what about <laughs> what, what am I doing? First of all, what am I doing here? You know? <laughs> And, you know what? What? Yeah, what is going on? <laughs> and I guess he went there partly because he was also like looking for like motivation. Like, what's his new drive? Like, his drive used to be his dad, and now it's like I don't know where it is. And I thought it was really interesting that he was described as if his soul was impotent. Mm. And then that's when she—I forgot specifically what were her main words, but she was just like. Yeah, your dad is going to be your dad. His dad's going to always be the same. He's all, he's a human ball sack. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's not changing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she says, you've ended up being who you are so you can prove him wrong. She said, you're amazing. When you came home, came on for England, I wept. Yes. Right. Your dad will be in the stands and pissed out of his head rooting against you and it won't matter. You don't have yeah. anything to prove to him. And then she says, you're not lost, my sexy little baby. You're just not sure what direction you're going, you're going in. in. And yet. then she says, yet. Yeah. And so his, his mom is Georgie, and she's played by an actress named Leanna Best. And what I thought was interesting, though, is his stepfather also. His stepfather, Simon, who's played by Steve Edge, is, like, super nice. So right? nice. Like, the exact, which kind of makes sense, is the exact opposite. Of, of his dad. Fa- of his dad. Yeah. But he almost like had a Ted Lasso-ish quality to mm-hmm. him, right? Which yep. I thought was really kind of interesting. And his mom, 
I thought really was very similar to Keely in a lot of ways. Mm, like how Keely, because like, you know, like Keely will run up and scream and like, yep. you know, jump yep. into people's arms and stuff. Yep. And like, that's exactly what his mom was like. And so I just thought that that was really fascinating that like, you know, like the people that he has like brought into his life. But yeah. And maybe Roy is a part of his dad. Maybe. Yeah. Like, it's just interesting the people and the the parallels, right? Yeah. But he and he he really looked up to Roy though, right? Like and remember like in season and one and Keely, apparently. <laughs> in season one, when they were at that gala, he tells Roy, like, I had a poster of you in my room. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always looked up to you. And and now we get to see it, which I thought that poster was hilarious. Oh, way, that's but... awesome. Oh, that hair, that Roy hair. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and so like he's lost right now, uh, or he's not sure what direction he's going in. His mom, like you said, just believes in him unconditionally, and and even when they like go to leave, she tells him like you know whether you score ten goals or none, yep. like you know yep. I just want you to be happy, and yep. and that's exactly like he knows that that's the only thing that she wants from him, yep. and so so I think it it makes him feel a little bit better, but it still hasn't totally like fixed it right well it hasn't sunk in because i think Mm. in many ways like i think of those boys that he passed by on the way to his house and they like (laughs) scream at him and they're swearing at him and then he reacts and they're like oh that's so cool right but they're partly a representation of the team and the fan base right but they're also a representation of his dad you know, and like, that's what he's expecting. Like he's expecting all of this hate and he doesn't know how to like respond to it. Yeah. And he he doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how, how to not internalize it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't actually react to the kids, right? Like he turns around and walks away. It's Roy who like says, um, good lads. Good, good lads. (laughs) But he knows he's going to be getting more of that at the game. And it's just like, it's weird because a part of him, and I've seen this before, a part of you also wants it. Mm, tell me about that. This part that that you know, when you've been receiving hate for so long, you're so comfortable with it mm-hmm. that then, when it's not there, it's almost foreign. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what he was. So when he finally goes to the game, he's like looking for his dad to scream at him. Yeah. And they keep featuring this other guy. And I was like, is this other guy's dad now? Like, I was like, who is this dude? But, you know, just like people being angry and like he's looking for that. Like, that is what it's just so normal. And I've noticed that in many people's lives where they've received such pain for so long or such like meanness for, for so long, like a part of them almost feels like they deserve that. Mm. Well, it's interesting because if you think about the last episode of season one, when Ted is like cheering on Jamie, Jamie's like, oh, yeah. like, like the whole episode he talks so about for Ted, Ted's mind games, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's not that Ted was playing mind games. It's just that we're so conditioned to like expect the worst from people or yep. expect that they're going, you know, like if we're, competitors that you know they're out to get us instead of being able to see like oh well maybe this guy just genuinely wants something good for me you know yeah and what's crazy is um so recently i met someone i think daniel sunberg danielle sunberg 
and she taught me this word compersion and compersion is the opposite of jealousy it's sympathetic joy Mm. And I was like, and she, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Ted represents compersion in so many ways. And a lot of people see that as almost so strange because jealousy is so much more common. Yeah. And for him to cheer, because think about it, he cheered Jamie on, but then he also cheered Nate on the same way when yeah, he brought his yeah. like son to watch the game. Yeah. So like this level of compersion. Yeah. Like that's what Jamie's mom has been giving him her whole life. But yeah, he still is waiting for that like backhand from other people. Like he's still waiting for like the other shoe to drop the foreboding joy in some way. Mm -hmm. And for people who don't know, sympathetic joy is basically where you feel the happiness of another person's success. And so when they succeed, like you genuinely feel good for them and you're kind of like rooting for them mm -hmm. and and their success. And so that's what um, sympathetic joy refers to. It's kind of a funny term though, right? Right. <laughs> but yeah, so we get to the game. And like you said, he's just looking out everywhere, trying to find his father. He's kind of distracted in that way, but he's playing well. Like the whole team's playing well. Colin scores playing a goal. Really, playing yeah. really well, like yeah. against such a top team that by the way, one yeah, I saw the, that. Won Champions League this year and the league and this. I mean, they won the trifecta. So yeah. like this is the best team in the the world. Yeah. And so when he first goes onto the pitch, the crowd boos him. And you can see Ted and Roy, like they're all kind of concerned because mm -hmm. because <laughs> we forgot. I forgot like when the team was getting on the bus how like people oh, yeah, selfies with him and like he would like take their picture for them instead of being in the selfie and then right right like how he just used his forehead to high five someone right <laughs> and so so they're definitely concerned what i thought was really interesting though is you know they cut back and forth between like jamie and nate watching the game and jamie makes the pass so that colin ends up heading the ball in and while nate's watching he says colin is open and mm -hmm. Once the goal is scored, the announcers say, oh, Jamie's seeing, you know, three passes ahead or whatever. Yep. And it just made me think about how like he he like Nate, he has that strategic mm -hmm. mind to be able to mm -hmm. like move the pieces around on the, the pitch with that, like in his mind, like to be able to see it and stuff. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. And Van Damme is on fire making all the saves. Yeah, seriously, with that mask. Yeah, but then the one where he was outside the box, um, Jamie goes in and kicks it out, but he lands on his ankle wrong and gets injured. And so, you know, everyone feels like they can't win without Jamie. Like everyone in the pub's starting to worry. Mm -hmm. And and then Ted makes the interesting decision not to put anyone in. Like he decides we're just going to play with 10 for now. And I was curious about that. Like, Yeah, first of all, you know, playing down a man is absolutely painful, but paying down a man against the best team in the world is, is literally, you know, like choosing to lose, you know, and Van Damme is making more saves than, I don't know, the U S against Belgium back in world cup 2012 or something like that. The last one I saw, but yeah, it's like that ridiculous of, yeah, it's, it's almost like a losing proposition. And I wonder, at, yeah, at first I was like, well, what is he? Why is he doing this? And he's just trusting his instincts, right? And then he has that little session where he goes and he talks to Jamie. <laughs> 
And I don't know. I thought that was such a, a sweet part because, again, Jamie is still looking for him. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like looking for my dad. I can't find him. And Ted's like, it's like when you don't know Freddy Krueger is around, you know, he's just going to hop out, you know, and, you know, and then he's just like hurt people, hurt people. You know, when was the last time you saw my you saw your dad? And he's like Wembley. And he's like, oh, you know, and it was interesting. And I don't know if I'm going to get this right, but it, but there was something about like, what would you want to say to your dad? And he was just like, I want to say, fuck you. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, yeah, that makes sense. And then he says, I want to. And then I would want to say thank you. And it was like, oh, so mm-hmm. true. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's always every it's always complex. It's always both mm-hmm. with, you know, any relationship, you know, where he clearly wants to say F you to his dad because of all the things that he did for him or made him like, you know, doubt about himself. But also his dad is part of the reason why he's here right now. So it's very complex. And having Ted say, you know, it might be time to start doing something new, like by forgiving him. And and he's like, I don't want to forgive him. And he's like, well, you're not forgiving him for him. You're forgiving him. You're giving that to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I just I love that, you know, and I think I think a lot of times and I've seen this at some conferences, you know, where people are trying to get through stuff where even if the person is long past, right? the process of having someone having you forgive that person, whether they're there or not there Mm -hmm. is really is about you. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not about the other person and it's not about the reaction of the other person, frankly. And I think that's where a lot of our pain comes from is the fact of like, well, when we forgive, then we're like, well, I want that reaction from them. I want something from them. Mm -hmm. But in this case, he's just like, this is about you. And that, that, along with the painkillers and adrenaline, I believe helped. <laughs> yeah, they definitely helped, right? But yeah, I want to go back to what you're saying, though, about like the thank you, right? Like, I, I think, you know, we talk a lot about gratitude in general. And I think I've mentioned this before that when my mom passed away, I remember, I mean, I was sad, I was angry, all of that. But I was also super grateful because... I was grateful that she wasn't going to suffer anymore. And I was grateful that, you know, everything happened quickly. And I remember talking to a friend of mine whose mom had also passed away maybe like six months before mine. And she said, how can you be grateful for anything? And I was just thinking about that. And part of it was because gratitude had become a practice for me. Mm -hmm. But the reason we talk about making gratitude a practice is because in these moments of challenge or when you are in these situations with people that have hurt you, the ability to to find gratitude like it allows you to find like the little pearls of wisdom and the little lessons that we can learn from whatever happened in that moment you know and so i think like i agree like i think that they you can hold both together and you almost always do because there is that the the actual emotion that you're feeling but the gratitude is about what that experience has, how that has transformed you in some way, Mm. right? And that's what his thank you is for his dad, right? Based on what his mom had said to him is like, and to what you said earlier, that he, part of why, what motivated him all this time to play the way he did was probably like this desire to want to live up to his dad's expectations or whatever, right? And so he, he pushed and pushed and played so that he became, you know, one of the best. And so it's not, I mean, it's not great the way that his dad did it, but ultimately it got him to where he was. And so 
So again, it's not about saying like, oh yeah, you know, that in that way he should be grateful to his dad and, you know, whatever. But like, but yeah, like he can be angry about what his dad did and how he got there and then still also be grateful for, yeah, you know what? I can still recognize that I'm here now. And that's, that's the piece, right? So once he gets back out on the pitch, he goes and scores, you know, a goal right away. And, but unlike the Jamie we've known in the past, he doesn't celebrate, right? Oh, but what I was going to say is once he gets up from his conversation with Ted and starts to walk out into the pitch, you see the old, like pieces of the old Jamie have come back. Yeah, the the prickish, the prickishness, right? The little attitude. Yeah. Right. And then even how he's dribbling has a little attitude to it. And it's, it's a weird shot of him like dribbling through people because they don't show the goal, which I thought was really interesting. They just showed him and Mm -hmm. his reaction. Mm -hmm. So that was weird. I was wondering about that part. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, yeah, like we see him like stick his tongue out. He's like baiting the crowd to like boo more. But when he makes the goal, he does not celebrate it. And like, oh, you know, like in the past when he would like, have everybody like you remember the, like the one episode where he was like pointing at himself like me me yep me. and he was like pointing at his shirt yeah. it was yeah. pointing at his name yeah. well but there's also supposedly well not supposedly it's a definite practice that is done is like when you play a former team of yours you always do this or you always don't do any celebration like mm-hmm. that's actually what's usually done you know whether it's english premier league or the italian league or europa league or whatever it is right so he was just follow he's following that practice but when someone goes against that oh it's such a (laughs) no-no so so by him doing that because they know prickish jamie usually Mm -hmm. would celebrate this is to be the perfect time to celebrate and frankly gloat and instead you know when ted subs him out because he's still kind of injured the standing applause, man, mm-hmm. to get an applause from an opposing team, especially a team like that. Yeah, is almost impossible. Yeah. And he claps he, he claps them back too. Yeah. Right? Like and I said that in a way that makes it sound like it's bad, but it's <laughs> he claps his way. No, off it's field, like it's like, like gratitude yeah. respects gratitude. It's like when you yeah. run a really good workshop and someone's just like, thank you. And you're like, no, thank you. And it's just like. Thank you is going back and forth because you realize there is a certain level of respect and exchange that has happened. Yeah. And then we see his dad's friends say, oh, you know, his dad would have been proud. And so there, I had that moment of like, did he die? Yeah, that's what I thought. And then we see he's actually in rehab and Mm -hmm. he's cheering his son on, too. And that was that was really nice. And and then they finally beat Man City, which is huge. Mm -hmm. And. Ted goes to shake Pep's hand and I love their conversation too, because he said, you know, don't worry about the wins or losses. Just help these guys be the best versions of themselves on and off the pitch. At the end of the day, that's what's most important. And so I love that he and Ted have the same philosophy and, you know, and literally quoting Ted from when he spoke to Trent Krim at that Indian restaurant, which is madness, right? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And then Jamie and Pep have a nice moment too, which is mm-hmm. huge because, because the way Jamie left that team yeah, and then the fact that they wouldn't let him come back. And I don't know yeah. that that was, I think that was more the owner than the coach, but still, right. Yeah. Like it's, it's nice to see that 
they have that moment together. And there's it's just such a small short clip, but showing his dad, I think that was phenomenal acting by mm-hmm. the whoever the the actor that plays his dad because you can tell he's sober, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can tell that like, oh man, he must have been most of the time just straight always drunk a majority of the time and so much like he probably was having so much pain coming out his own way and now that is like gone the ego is gone so many things are gone and maybe it happened after he got punched by his son maybe that was his lowest moment there's like so many questions that come up for me as i see him there sitting like quietly in Mm. that room with like a bunch of other people and he just has this you know, really proud smile yeah, and holding it back in this really humble way. And you kind of see a, like a glint of pride, not just yeah, pride, compassion, a certain level of like joy, but war- and, and a certain level of warmth mm. that you have never seen from this guy ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's also like cut his hair, right? Like, so he's like, it's just a different person. Yeah. And I thought that just was a really powerful moment because I think for a lot of people, like, you know, getting the approval or the uh, recognition from your father is like one of the greatest things for some people. Yeah. And when he gets back and he's, you know, so two things there that I loved was number one, just the love that he gives the team. Right. Yeah. Each person, they're all going out to celebrate. He's not going to go because he needs to deal with his ankle. But I love that he stops Colin to tell him he's proud of him. And yep. And he used to bully Colin. So like the contrast is massive. Yeah. 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 And Sam, who used to hate him, is happy when he's coming back on the pitch. Yeah. It's like the star. And so happy. Like so happy. Yeah. And so as he's sitting there, he texts his dad, right? For the first time since Manchester Mm -hmm. City, like since the last game. And just says, you know, like, I hope you're doing okay. And that I thought that, you know, like, it just shows like that he has finally like let go and mm-hmm. is ready to be in that place to maybe talk to him again and see like, you know, is he is he okay? What's he doing? And then Keely and Roy show up with champagne. And what was really interesting is, you know, as the three of them are sitting in there laughing and joking around, Ted walks by and and it's such a contrast to the last time Ted walked by that room when Jamie yep. was in there with his dad yep. yelling at him and throwing things at him and stuff like that, right? Yep. And so I thought that was really beautiful. One last thing I just want to say about this thing was when Keeley and Rebecca and Higgins are, are waiting for the game to start, Keeley says that Richmond should have a song. And Higgins explains that Freddie Mercury owned the team briefly in 1980 mm-hmm. and tried to make Fat Bottom Girls the team anthem. I don't know if you noticed, but when the team returns from Manchester and they get off the bus and everyone's celebrating, oh, is that the that's song? The, that's the song that's playing. And so I thought that. Was I funny. also love that that she mentioned that Freddie Mercury was amazing at flipping straights. Yeah. That was one of his best talents, and I was like, that is awesome. That was his self-professed talent, right? Wow. Like, that, wow. That, uh, his dad that's said impressive. that if you asked Freddie, this is what he would tell you. So I thought that was funny. Let's talk about Nate for a minute. Nate has started working at A Taste of Athens and really apparently loves the job. 
But I will say that this is kind of like what we talked about last week, where for me personally, I feel like this storyline has been cut off in ways that I'm really kind of sad about because like it just again felt a little bit rushed because all of a sudden like Isaac Collin and Will show up. That was right. Yeah, that seemed rushed. Right? That seemed like and out like, of the blue. Yeah, yeah, and that they they want him to come back, that they took a vote. It was unanimous except Bumbercatch, who doesn't vote. Yeah. And I don't know, it might have been interesting to see like that discussion and to see like how the team forgave him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But clearly they have. And but two things. Number one, Nate hasn't fully forgiven himself and he knows yep. that what he did was wrong. And he also worries about like Ted doesn't know about the fact that they're even coming to see him. And so mm -hmm. he's like, no, that's okay. And this whole time, what's interesting in every single scene is Jade is like there kind of watching what's mm -hmm. happening, right? She disappears every time he tries to point her out as his girlfriend. As girl, like, yep. But she's taking it all in and and she knows he does not belong at Taste of Athens, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. he was like the head coach of West Ham, you know? I know. And now he's optimizing nuts. You yeah. know, he's just like, if you give more nuts, then people drink more. What? This is genius. You know, it's like. But what was interesting to me about that, though, is is that even like it doesn't matter what doesn't matter what in, job he he's does. He's still yep. strategy. Like he's yep. all about strategy. Right. And yep. so I thought that was really kind of funny. But she basically blackmails her boss to fire him. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he does. And he does on the night that the team is playing Man City. And so. Nate finally has that epiphany. Like, it doesn't matter if there's even just one game left. Like, I have to go back somehow. And so he's drafted his 60-page apology letter to Ted. I would actually, love to read that letter. Well, I would Nick, love to read that. Nick Muhammad actually posted it on Twitter. No. Yes, yes. It's on there. You can definitely go check that out. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, so meanwhile... When Higgins told Ted that he sent some people over to kind of gauge whether Nate would come back, and he said it sounds like he would if he was invited. And so Ted asked him, like, well, what do you think? Higgins says, well, you know, I, I'm all about second chances. And then he mm -hmm. asked Roy, and Roy's like, yeah, he's good at the stuff I'm not good at. Yeah. And it's Beard. Beard's like, if you bring him back, I will burn this fucking place burn down. Burn this place down. And I got it. I mean, I felt that way, too. <laughs> I agree. And so when they get back and Ted shows, you know, they're supposed to go out for karaoke and whatever, but Ted, Ted has Beard watch the video of Nate having had to hide for like five hours after that whole Believe Sign incident. Yeah, three hours, then two more hours, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then having had to climb out the window to get out of the building, yep. like just the level of humiliation and frustration. And, and like you said, his lowest moment, right? And Ted says, you know, I just I hope that none of us are judged or all of us are judged by the oh gosh, I don't remember the exact our worst by our, our worst. weakest our weakest moments. Yeah. Either either all of us are yeah, or none of us are judged by the actions of our weakest moments. And yeah. hopefully that something to the strengths we share, and hopefully we have the strength that we share when given a second chance. And Coach Beard is like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so he shows up at Nate's house and I got to say this scene makes me bowl every time. I've yeah, this it. scene like, was phenomenal. 
Yeah. At first, it was scary because Coach Beard does look like a serial killer. Like, let's just be <laughs> honest. He has those vibes. <laughs> but like, I really liked getting Beard's backstory too. Finally, yeah. because and you know, in such a quick way too. Yeah, like we've all been wondering, like, what is it that keeps him so loyal to Ted? And now we know, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. they came up playing football together. He was the backup punter. Ted was mm-hmm. the backup kicker. Or vice versa. Yeah. Uh And then they went their separate ways. And while Ted went into coaching, Beard went into prison. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that when he got out, Ted took him in, fed him, let him crash on the couch. And in return, Beard stole his car. Yeah. But that that Ted then convinced the cops that he had given him the car. And he had gone to jail for stealing a loaf of meth. (laughs) I was like, wow. Well, so because they and he says loaf of meth because it's like similar to Lamez where they talk about the loaf right. of bread, right? Okay. Right. And then he says he took me and did all this stuff, and then I stole from my friend who forgave me and gave me a job and a life. And then he says to honor that, I forgive you and I offer you a job. The life part is up to you. To you. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like yeah. you know that's. I don't know, like the way that it was delivered was just incredible. And then when he gives him the headbutt, it's very similar to the Inuit Eskimo kiss in some ways or not Eskimo, but, you know, the Inuit greeting where it's very, you know, it's very intimate and very powerful. Putting forehead to forehead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that. Yeah. And it's interesting because Nate, Nate asks him, like, are you sure you don't want to headbutt me? Because he's still not feeling like he's still feeling like he deserves something mm-hmm. worse, right? Like mm-hmm. he deserves a worse punishment. And instead, yeah, he, he gives him love. And in the last episode, we heard Roy say that about Jamie. I mean, not Jamie, about Isaac, right? Yeah. That at the press conference that I don't know why he did what he did, but I give him love, right? Yeah. And so it's this idea that like someone's been hurt, they've done something terrible, we forgive them and we give them love. And then he hugs him, you know? And it was just such a, a beautiful moment. And then just the little comedy at the end with Jade in the doorway eating the kebab, listening to the whole thing, which I thought was kind of well, funny. Well, it also, what is it about? It makes me also understand Beard more mm-hmm. because part of the reason why he maybe is so angry at Nate is because Nate betrayed his Nate betrayed Ted's trust just like he did. Mm. And there's a little self-hate there. Mm -hmm. And now he's like protective of Ted, right? It's like no one's going to hurt Ted the way I hurt Ted, right? Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. no one's allowed to hurt Ted the way I hurt Ted, right? And it's very, so he's very protective of Ted. And then he realizes at that moment that, you know, by him continuing to hate Nate, he will also then continue to hate a part of himself. Yeah, that's so true. And it's so interesting, right? That's layered, man. That's heavy. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So he's not just there for Nate. He's there for, yeah, for his own growth, you know, and also the growth of the team. And the like, he knows they're going to be better with Nate. But like the pride, man, you know, and it makes me think like anytime we're so angry at somebody, it's because there's a little self-hate in there. There's a little, we see our worst moments of ourselves in that other person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we want to like 
get rid of it rather than forgive it, rather than accept it. Yeah. And so that that kind of probably goes to that idea of when we forgive others, we are doing it for ourselves because yeah. in return, we are forgiving ourselves as well. So and talk about that's that's healthy. I feel like that. Well, that's just healthy relationships. But talk about that's the opposite of a lot of toxic masculinity, where it's just like you're always angry all the time. Yeah. And you're always competing against somebody. And instead, yeah, you choose not to. Yeah. All right. So then I know that was that was actually I really, really liked that part. Then we get to Ted and his mom. And so this was super interesting, right? With like the show opening up with Ted walking through the alley saying hello to everybody. He knows everybody. My name. They all know him. It's also the exact opposite of what it was like early on in the first season when everyone knew him and hated him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. like, you know, now he's getting and then even the guy that's like wanka, don't yeah. get too confident, <laughs> even yeah. flicks him off. Right. Yeah. It is such joy. Like, yeah. look at again what Ted has just like he changed that college football team. Now, look at what he's done for AFC Richmond and all their fans. You know, that's, they're in better spirits because of him. Exactly. And it's kind of funny. He also sees Mrs. Barnaby. She's like the old lady oh. who's walking through the aisle. <laughs> And uh, the alley, and she uh, was the one who bid on Jamie and Roy in the. Oh the my goodness! Episode. Coming back, I totally forgot <laughs> about her. What did she say? Something like, "If it's not a long night, it's not a good night." Something like that, and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> "Yeah." And so he's walking through, and then he says hello to his mom, and keeps walking, and then he's like, Ugh, and he won't stand. Comes back, and he's like, "Mom," and. You know, and so that was kind of like, oh. And once they get like back up in their in his apartment and stuff like that, you can see he's so anxious about his mom so being anxious. there, right? So he doesn't anxious. know why she's there. And, you know, she's been there a week and she's been staying at a hostel with Australians, with Australians who have a lot of sex. And this made me laugh so hard, though, because I kept thinking about how different this was from Indian families. Because yeah, there's no way that I mean, forget about your parents. Like you're a third cousin, you know, Dude, and like they'll be like, any, yep, any immigrant house, you family, know? like yeah. you got it. You got to take everybody in. Like, yeah. yeah. And so the in fact- a hostel in a ho- <laughs> that's Oh, come on. Come on. Yeah. So the fact that she booked the trip as a gift to herself and she, you know, didn't tell him she was coming and she's been staying at a hostel, like it's all just like a lot. And it's very uh, passive aggressive. Yeah. And so then um, he invites her to join him at work and, you know, and she's, oh, I don't want to be a bother. And this, and he's mm-hmm. like, you know, you won't like, I, I'd like you to come. And so she does. And even just in like how they're exiting the apartment, like her mannerisms like are so similar to how he typically is, right? So like, similar. Yeah. And then he takes her to introduce her to Rebecca and Rebecca realizes right away who she is. Well, the because it's the weird joking, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. I'm his bodyguard and she's just like, huh? You know, and she's like, oh my goodness, this 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 corny joking. And it's funny because and I've seen this even with myself sometimes is because now his mom is joking so much. Ted can't be his 
jovial self. He can't bring his Ted Lasso like jokes anymore because she's she's taking up a lot of that space. Well, I was curious about that, though. Right. Is it taking up space or is it like, again, it's she's holding up a mirror to him. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, where he's experiencing exactly what he does, does to for other for, uh, does for others. Yep. Yeah. And he's annoyed. Like, it's oh, annoying, so annoying him. Right. So annoyed. Like every little thing is annoying him. And when they go down into the locker room and, and Dottie's talking to the team and Rebecca's mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, it must be so nice to have your mom around. And he's like, uh-huh. And then she says, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yep. And he says, okay, it's weird, right? And Rebecca says, that's what mothers do. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's supposed to be weird, right? And his mom is like telling her, telling the team about, he's taking my car for a joyride. He drove on the wrong side of the of the road, which is also, now that I think of it, He's taking his car for a joyride. That was the same thing Coach Beard did to Ted. Exactly. So that's also interesting, mm-hmm. you know. And I love how she like she dro- he drove on the wrong side of the road, so he already was, you know, thinking of you know like destined attaching for, it to him, yeah, destined De- for England, yeah. And and Ted is so frustrated because he's like, that's not even how the story went. Yeah. <laughs> and Rebecca's like, sometimes the truth ruins a good story because like you know like <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he's probably also annoyed because he's heard all these stories, right? Are these yeah. so uh, the same story again and again? Yeah. You know, it's not even accurate. But that's just that he, it's such good acting because it's like the way I I've, I've been frustrated by mom. I've seen other people be like, you just don't know how to act because it's two different worlds combining. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I think most of us have been there, right? And and then we see our parents like interacting with other people. So like he sees like I love how she comes in. She's like weirdo, beardo, <laughs> and then they start singing together. And then he and then he gets all like like a kid. He's like, I gotta go coach a game. I gotta go coach practice. Like yeah, like he's, that like, Led Tasso character comes back. You know, <laughs> yep. yeah, yep. where he's like super angry. And meanwhile, like. Beard singing this Lottie Dottie song. Lottie Dottie, right. she likes to potty. She don't cause trouble. Don't bother nobody. <laughs> like, I just thought, like, like, what are y'all doing here? Like, ah, <laughs> this is so annoying. Oh my I'm God. so annoying. <laughs> but then even at the pub, right? Like, so Beard loses his pinball game and then goes to sit down. And this was interesting. And so the mirror goes both ways, right? So then Mama Lasso asks Beard, like, oh, how's Ted's doing? How's Ted doing? And he says, well, he's Ted. And so she says, oh, still running around in circles, making sure everybody's okay without accepting a drop of help for himself. Mm-hmm. And then when Beard asks her how she is, she responds, oh, don't you worry about me. Y'all got enough cooking without putting my troubles on your to-do list. And mm-hmm. so like, even as she's saying this about him, like she's all, she's doing the exact she, same thing. The, the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy. It it reminds me of, I saw a TikTok you know, I'm I'm Filipino and I, I watch a lot of like TikToks from like Filipino comedians. And it showed this one mom where she's eating something fried, right? Because mm-hmm. diabetes is really high in a lot of Filipino families. But while she's eating something fried, she's also getting her heart pressure checked. <laughs> <laughs> and the, like just like the contrast, right? And, yeah. it, it, and I don't know if this happens in Indian families, but like literally a filipino mom or auntie will be like you know you're too skinny you have to eat 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 right and then as soon as you come back then they're like why are you so fat 
Yeah, exactly. Are you so fat? Exactly. And then they're like, why are you so fat? And then they're like, you're not going to eat. And then they give you Tupperware full of food. So it's just like there's so much hypocrisy, <laughs> like mixed messaging, oh, so much yeah. mixed messaging, yeah. so much hypocrisy with with parents and grandparents and cousins and aunties. Yeah. And that's just like the way it is. Right. It's always been that way. And then when you try to point out the hypocrisy to your parents, oh, my goodness, or to other people like that's a no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's like the the key thing about this, though, right, is like it is kind of hypocritical and and she's doing exactly what she's kind of calling him out on. But I don't think she realizes it. No. Right. And that's the thing is like I think in a lot of these scenarios, like those mirrors are there. We're we're mirroring what we've been taught or what we've seen or whatever. And the the other person doesn't see that like, oh, that came from me, right? Yeah. Or that I was the one who started doing that. But I love that May, May sees right through the whole thing. And so when she goes to talk to Ted, she actually recites a poem. And mm. the poem is by Philip Larkin. It's called This Be the Verse. And so it says, they fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. But they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old style hats and coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. First of all, if I love May, I just love that she comes (laughs) with the wisdom. Yeah. But I think there's something really powerful about the idea of like, look, you're not going to change your parents, right? Or you're not going to change whatever the 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 generation before. And I think a lot of times we think the healing will come from us calling out the hypocrisy in the other person in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jamie's wanting to change his father, you know, but it's not going to change with him. It has to change with you. Mm-hmm. And that is... That's much harder. Well, and it's also this idea that like as much as our parents may like mess up or whatever, like they did the best that they could with Mm -hmm. what they had and what they knew. And especially we talked about this last week. We were joking about like some of the, the things that immigrant parents do, but like, but they did the best that they could. Right. And they were getting stuff from people above them who were trying yes. like doing the best that they could. Yes. Right. And so it passes down and you're right. Like at some point we have to recognize like, all right, like I have to be the one to break this and change yes. it because that like, even if they say like, I'm sorry and and whatever, like at the end of the day, like it's already done. Yeah. You know? And this idea of like, you have to hold both truths. They did the best they could and they fucked you up. Yeah. You know, they did a really amazing job and also did a horrible job at times. Right. Like, and that's just the reality of any, you know, relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think in this much more patriarchal capitalistic type world, we're told that we have to choose one or the other. You Mm -hmm. know, your, your parent is either the villain or the hero. And, it's never that clean. It's, right. it's, it's messy and it's supposed to be messy. That's what makes life worth living, the complexity and the layers of it. Right. But like when Ted tells his mom that he's in therapy and she says, oh, let me guess, it's all my fault. Right. Right. 
which and is exactly what he had said to the therapist himself earlier on. You're just going to tell me that my parents are the reason, right? Yep. Yep. You're right. Like life is messy and and we do have to be able to hold both both truths at the same time. And also recognize it like in our actions, right? Because mm-hmm. the same could be said for any kind of relationship. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be just parent child, right? Like in any relationship, there's going to be moments of this kind of thing. And I think last week we were talking about this idea of like being able to recognize, not just see the good in the person, but like this idea that they're doing the best that they can in a given moment, right? Mm -hmm. And that if we could go through life that way, it might help us be a little less angry sometimes, you know, because we're not just like, oh, this person sucks. This is terrible. But instead, like, hey, you know, I don't know what's going on with them. It sucks that they did this to me, but, you know. It sucks that they, I mean, it's tough because it's like, you know, I've said this to some of my friends who still have both their parents and, you know, like, you, yeah, I'm like listening to them complain and I'm like, yeah, that sucks. And also they're still alive, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. remember, that's also a gift you have, even if you also are really frustrated with them, you know, you still can mend some of the things and, yeah, you know that that's so what what I loved so much then about when he finally, you know, Ted goes and he wins the game and then he comes home to his mom, you know, and she's like, "Welcome home, honey. You must be starving. Congratulations on the big win." You know, I made you meatloaf and lasagna, you know, like trying mm. to co- overcompensate and he's just like, "What are you doing here? Like, why are you here? Like, what are you doing?" And she's like, "I just want to spend my last night with my son mm-hmm. and he's just sitting there. And then I just love this writing where he was just like, Hey, fuck you for not wanting to talk. Like, thank you for coming and fuck you for not wanting to talk. <laughs> thank you for the small, you know, leaving little small messages in my lunchbox and fuck you for not working on yourself and in seeking help after we lost dad. Like it was like, Whoa. And, and you could tell from all of the therapy, mm-hmm. he was able to hold both those truths. And he finally was able to actually express them rather than like push them down. Mm-hmm. And that must have been a lot for his mom, who's like not about honesty most of the time. It's about like happy go lucky stories and everything like that and not saying what's on your mind. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm fascinated what you thought of that part. Yeah, no, same as you. Like, I, I really thought like it's it's the thing I think many of us want to be able to do with not just our parents, but with people that we've had issues with, right? Like to be able to say, well, thank you for doing this thing and then fuck you for this other part of it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a little rough for Ted because we don't see, rough. we don't hear Ted typically like cursing, but also, you know, it's also getting into that like core of who he really is, not just this surface level happy person, right? That he tries to show to everybody. And so, yeah, so I, I agree. Like I, I thought it was really beautifully done. And, um, it was the first authentic moment I felt for her. I mean, she was authentic to a point, but when she finally was just like, I'm sorry, I didn't know what to do. Yes. Yes. So I pretended I was okay. And then, (laughs) and then then she's like, thank you for the apology. And then she's like, fuck you, which is great. You know, no, no, because he says, he says, 
thank you for the apology and apology fuck you for making you. me think I had to pretend too. Oh, right. right. And so that's exactly. the thing, right? Like, right. again, as kids, we often will emulate or like mirror right. what we see happening in front of us. And so if yep. his mom was shoving everything down and like, you know, pretending everything was okay, then he grew up feeling like, oh, I have to do the same thing Yep. because that's, that's what I'm being taught, right? That's what I'm seeing. And so... It's amazing they had that moment though because she needed to hear that and and she says that I'm you know I appreciate you sharing that I just wish you hadn't carried it around for so long. Mm -hmm. And then it gives her the courage to say and yeah I actually have something to say to you too, mm -hmm. right? Your son misses you. Misses you. And this I thought was interesting that he you know and so he says I miss him too. It's like I'm scared something I'm scared sometimes to get close to that little boy because I know he's going to leave. Yeah. And it made me think about how, again, going back to sometimes when we don't forgive or we don't deal with the things that are happening or like the traumas that have happened in our lives, like it creates space between us and other people. And so it's uh -huh. like he never dealt with the pain of his father leaving and he didn't uh -huh. really forgive his father, right? Like remember when he was in therapy talking about yeah. how angry he was. And so there was this pain that he experienced in that and I was thinking about how, like, for me, like, I've had, you know, relationships where I've gotten so badly hurt uh -huh. that it, like, may, it, like, prevents me from putting myself out there, right? Because uh -huh. I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared yep. that I'm going to get hurt again. Yep. But the problem is that when we live in that fear of, you know, like, his son leaving or getting hurt in a relationship, in the effort to avoid, like, the bad, we miss out on so much good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we miss out on those like experiences of joy and connection and mm -hmm. love and, and mm -hmm. all those things. Right. And what is so well said by his mom is then, you know, when he's like, yeah, when he says, I, I get scared when I get close to the little boy, because I know he's going to leave. And she goes, well, that is the thing about you being a parent. You know, sometimes you lose, sometimes you win, but most of the time you tie. And all you can do is keep playing, which I love. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the real part. Right. That's what you said of just all you do is you can keep playing, which means keeping playing is like being vulnerable, potentially mm -hmm. getting hurt, putting yourself back out there like over and over again. When frankly, it from a rational state, it makes no sense to yeah, do this. Right. Exactly. Your your whole body, you know, your inner critic, everything is telling you to this is a bad idea. Like you should not get heck out there. Yep. But then you miss out on living, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I love when she goes, Thank you. And she she swears to him too. And that I just thought that was just such a beautiful written discussion between a kid. I'm mean, a kid and a parent that like I think every kid and parent would want to have some type of open conversation like that. Yeah. And, you know, and so he, I think, needed to hear that about his son from his mom. He knows. He knows his son misses him. He misses yeah. his son. But yeah. he needed to hear it from his mom. And yeah. he wakes up to that sunflower seed bread from her. And it's like, it was interesting as he was eating it because to me, it uh, his face, like, showed nostalgia almost. Like, yep. right? Yep. Or this longing yep. because... It showed a longing, like, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and a decision being made. Yeah, exactly. And it also made me think about like the first time that he gave the biscuits to Rebecca, right? And yep. how it it 
took her back to whatever. And so for me, like this, this sunflower seed bread was maybe something similar. I know that the barbecue sauce is for sure, but he was also wearing a Joe Arthur t-shirt. Do you know where that was? Do you know where that's from? Oh, he's been wearing that since season one. So that's like, it's the, the t-shirt that has all the four major Kansas city barbecue places. Uh, I see. Oh yeah. Yeah, Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's always had that connection back home. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And so then like he goes into work and and Rebecca's in there looking at the pyramid of success. And she says, well, you know, this, you know what time it is. And he doesn't remember. And she says the time of year that I usually come down and reveal something. And this year she has no truth bomb to mm-hmm. deliver. She has nothing mm-hmm. to share, which I thought was interesting given that Bex and Miss Cake showed up at her house the night before. Right. <laughs> like, but, which, that, but that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Because thing. OK, so let's go back through her yeah. truth bombs. First one was that she was going to sabotage the team. Yeah. Right. And then the second one was the Sam. Yeah. That she was dating Sam. That she was dating Sam. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I mean, the Bex thing. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. That wouldn't have really been that big of like a bomb. That would have been like Rupert just being who he always is. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just know. I'm kidding. But yeah, but, like. Yeah. But it's funny that she doesn't have them, but that he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though we don't hear him say it, we all know the direction we all he's going. Know. Right. So, yeah, especially because the closeout song is Home by Brandy Carlisle. And it's from the movie Wiz, The Wiz. And that's kind of like a take on The Wizard of Oz. Right. Yeah. And. And then the pinball machine Wizard of Oz, he sees like the the house spinning around the house spinning. Yep. Yeah. And so like so many Wizard of Oz references as usual. And so, yeah, so that uh, that brings us to the end. Uh, What's your biggest takeaway? Well, I mean, it makes sense that he's going home, right? It makes sense that because he's done what his main job was to be there was like to turn around the team, just like he probably did with the college team. And, you know, what would at this point, why would he stay? What would keep him going? as he's done what his main job was. And frankly, he's missing, you know, some of the most important moments of his kid's life, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think maybe a part of him left on purpose because, you know, he needed to be after the divorce or the separation, like he went into the mode of, you know, maybe like his father, where he's just like, I have to be away. But now I think through all the therapy and all of the experiences that he's had, he's like, I now can hold both truths, right? I can maybe be in my kid's life and also not be part of the family, like, and not feel like it's a failure because I remember he always felt as if like the marriage was -hmm. such a failure on his part that he failed. Right. And that, and that there's probably a huge amount of guilt of now his son or not being in his son's life. And that's like part of the punishment, right? Right. And also what's interesting and it's not really talked about, but like there's going to be a core there, right? Because you have like you have an amazing coach in Roy that -hmm. you've cultivated and you have an amazing coach in Nate that's coming back. So there's someone that can like keep the continuity going. So, yeah, he doesn't need to be there anymore. And it'll be interesting if if Beard stays, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but so, yeah, how I felt about that was just so was like, of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Return of the Jedi moment. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway is is this idea that we can hold the two truths together, but also just that reminder about the impact of forgiveness on us and how much it can serve us as we, you know, and and help us un- get unstuck and move, keep moving forward. So that's what I'm taking. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I'm going to think about like an actual takeaway, the takeaway I would think about is the one about like, what is the hard conversation you haven't had with your parent, mm. whether they're still here or not here, right? Mm. What parts have you forgiven and not forgiven? And can you see your parent in all perspectives, mm. both everything they did that was great and everything they did is bad and not see it in that black and white sort of way, mm-hmm. which is yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, in the shades of gray. Oh, my gosh. So we have the last one. The last- oh, no, such a fun conversation. Uh, Thank you so much. for yeah, this. it's my pleasure. And I uh, appreciate you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will be back next week with the final episode Let's of go! Ted Lasso, but also our final episode of this podcast. So good times. Take care. See you next week. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, Try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, WWTLDpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Ted Lasso.